0: Tom Gaffey, we are here at the Phoenix Theater in Petaluma, California.
1: Yes, we are. And what a special night for crying out loud.
0: And I mentioned that we're in Petaluma, California, because my goodness, this is a Petaluma history episode.
1: Yeah. And, and where better to do uh, an episode on Petaluma history than in Petaluma? At the Phoenix Theater, formerly the California
0: Theater, yeah. formerly the Hill Opera House. Hill Opera House. And we have three friends with us tonight who all have an interest in Petaluma history, and we're excited to have them. So we have Harlan Osborne, who is a writer for the Argus Courier. Hello, Harlan. Good evening. That is what Harlan's voice sounds like. We have Katie Watts who has written for the Argus Courier, uh, currently writes for the Press Democrat and, and does mm-hmm. freelance work as well. Yes. So welcome Katie.
2: Thank you so much.
0: And we have John Shihi, old friend of Tom Gaffey's. Started my career at the Argus Courier delivering papers. <laughs> Absolutely. So there's an overlap for all that stuff.
3: Wow. Actually, I did too, had a paper oh, yes. out, guys. 1958.
1: Yep. Holy cow. Impressive. That's good. Yeah, that's when it was such a great thing to do. And the <laughs> we artist were right down courier. The street. Yeah, so they are right we next door to the theater. Uh, the artist courier was at an afternoon paper. Yes. Which means it you guys did not have to get up at six in the morning so, deliver papers. I wouldn't have done that.
0: I, <laughs> have... I think a great place to start is we're
1: on Keller Street right now. We are on Keller Street, and that, for me, has always been a proud thing. Three of the more knowledgeable individuals in Petaluma that, that know Petaluma history are here at the table tonight. And there's so many stories that I've been telling about this town that have been gaffyized so much, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how much truth there is left in them. To the uninitiated
0: about and history, Garrett Keller is a very important figure. Are that we all on the same
1: page we are, about yes. that? Yes. So the story that I had got was that Garrett Keller had come to this area to look for gold in the uh, 1850s, 1840s. And having found none, he found himself sitting on the banks of the Petaluma River waiting to be picked up by a boat that would take him back to San Francisco. As he sat on the banks of this river, he looked around and realized, my heavens, this would make an incredible little shipping town for all of these farmers that I'd recently met and all of the uh, people that were moving in up north, in the plains up north by the Carrios." So he finally caught a boat that took him back to San Francisco. He hired a surveyor brought it back up to Petaluma, mapped out downtown Petaluma, and sold the lots for $10 a piece, which he owned none of. Now, that's the story I've been telling for years, and that's the story that came to me uh, through a couple of people in my childhood, and then it was retold, I think, by... uh, Adair Adair
2: Laura. Yeah, Adair yes, Laura right.
1: seemed that that was pretty close to what I'd been hearing all this time. The Phoenix Theater being on Keller Street, I was always extremely proud. One early history I
4: I like hearing a lot about is just before the settling of the town where Keller comes here, essentially you had General Vallejo out there yes. uh, with the old Adobe and he basically enslaved a lot of the natives like yes. many of the conquistadors did at the time and put them to farms and stuff. The smallpox epidemic came down from Fort Ross, from the Russians, and wiped out the native population. Yeah, about 99% of them, I yes, think I read. Yes, essentially. Yeah. So by the 1840s, nobody is in this valley, not even the natives. And I think it's a wonderful time for the history of this area because it shows how self-organizing nature is. But what happens is when the Gold Rush guys get here, the 49ers in the city, they start sending hunters up the river yes. to provide meat mm-hmm. to the city. And that's where they find this, really,
1: this beautiful lush, area.
4: beautiful area just this filled with basin. wild game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Absolutely. no population at the time. And, right. and just that idea of the whole area is fascinating. Fascinating.
1: Me. The story was that Garrett Keller was actually waiting for a bear hunting boat that he would be able to catch a ride back down to the city, then take a boat home because he was from New England. And he kind of understood shipping. That's the way he would have gotten back would be via boat as opposed to the overland route.
4: Right. And so the first 50 years of the history of the town is really tied to San Francisco and the development of the city because we're a provider being where the river's at and we 're basically it 's agriculture, and so more people yeah. are moving up here and they're farming my My family came here in eighteen sixty three from Ireland to be wheat farmers out on Lakeville essentially
1: you know someone else had mentioned to me they came one time and said, uh, so I understand that Petaluma was uh, the only official battle that occurred during the Civil War that happened in California. You're kidding, are you talking about the battle between Petaluma and Santa Rosa? Which was, I think, the first battle between Petaluma and Santa Rosa. Actually, it would have to be the second because, quite frankly, we almost went to blows over the county seat. seat. We yes. did. But in, in 1865, after Lincoln had been uh, assassinated, Uh, The Democrat up in Santa Rosa, which was truly an agricultural town, settled by families from Missouri and Virginia and a lot of the southern-leaning towns, and during the Civil War, they were indeed a southern-leaning town. Petaluma, kind of a shipping uh, area, there were a lot of New Englanders in this town, from what I understand, and they were definitely a northern-leaning town. When Lincoln was assassinated, the Press Democrat, the newspaper up in Santa Rosa, was sending volleys to the Argus in Petaluma about, well, you know, didn't he have it coming? (laughs) I mean, really, it's a a tragedy that that we've lost our president, truly. But didn't he have it coming anyway? And Petaluma was, what are you talking about, didn't he have it coming? Are you kidding me? He was the greatest president we've ever had. Are you nuts? Well, I'm just saying. I'm thinking maybe that... uh, if you didn't see it coming, certainly we did up here. What do you mean you saw it coming up? Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. What about it, Petaluma? What about it? We're going to come up and kick your butts. How's that? <laughs> so from what I understand is the Petaluma Emmett rifles, <laughs> in, in a flurry of anger, they jumped were, on they, their horses. They were a militia. They were a militia. Petaluma and all had a militia. Santa Rosa had, apparently Santa Rosa was defended by their volunteer fire department. <laughs> Who was more than willing, oh, Petaluma, you're going to come up and shoot us with your Emmett rifles. What is an Emmett rifle, by the way? I don't know. I've never seen one in my life. But why don't you bring them up and show us what you got? (laughs) Well, we're coming then. You know, and I think it was, (laughs) this would have been what, in in late April in in Petaluma? Mm. Maybe between here and Santa Rosa, it would have been um, Stony Point Road. They hadn't built 101 in the 1860s, <laughs> yep. no. so you had to go Stony Point, uh-huh. and it might have been a little muddy, I would imagine, yep. and those Emmett rifles jumped on their horses, and they headed out there, and they were charging down that road, and they were heading out there, and we're going to kick their butts up there. Those people are going to be so surprised when we get to Santa Rosa and just kick their butts, and they're charging, they're charging, maybe they get stuck in the mud a little bit, and it's getting a little bit tough, and they come to the Washoe house and said, why don't we stop and get a drink? way it was told to me, uh, long about the time the sun went down, their wives came out and picked them up at the Washoe House and brought them home, and that was the end of the great battle. That's right. Now, is that the way? That you know, is correct. Well, that's what I love about Petaluma. This was not the first time that Santa Rosa got our goat. Early 1850s, the county seat. Do you guys remember that story?
2: I know that they, Petaluma, the largest city in Sonoma County, felt that they should be the county seat. And when they were not, they decided to create a second county of Northern Marin and Southern Sonoma so that Petaluma could be the county seat. That would have changed everything. That would have changed everything.
0: And now why were they not able to succeed in seceding?
2: It never really went anywhere. You know, it just sort of petered out. There was a lot of rhetoric in the papers of the day. And then it just sort of... Went away,
0: but you know it's
4: a more natural alliance in terms of the bioregional yes, area here is. and uh-huh. the farming that went on here. We're very tied to northern, western Marin. Mm-hmm more than they are to the rest of yeah. Marin. And we certainly aren't tied to Santa Rosa, in my mind.
1: It's true. I think we were going to school with a lot of the Dolcinis. that actually were living in Marin oh, yeah. County. It's uh, Red Hill and all of that is in Marin. You mentioned the
0: Dolcinis, Tom, and this is just a funny little anecdote you've shared to me about why you think Petaluma is so wacky. You were telling me an anecdote about maybe like the Cordas and the Dolcinis got oh, in a fight it? one time.
1: D- do you remember that story? Okay. Katie Katie is getting really excited I, no, I right have now. heard
2: him tell this.
1: <laughs> I think it was, it, was, uh, it was Raleigh Webb, I think, was the judge in mm. those days. Any of you know Raleigh Webb? Very well. well. Oh, I know guy. of him so
4: Stood well. Stood before him, personally.
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> the way it was told to me, and this was a Bill Sabrana story. I believe it was a couple of Dalsini boys had gotten in a fight with a couple of Corda boys. And these, these are legendary Petaluma families. This is in the early 60s, and this is the Petaluma that I grew up remembering. Out in front of the hideaway over on uh, Kentucky Street, a brawl was ensuing, and a Petaluma police officer stepped into the middle of this fight and promptly got beat up by all parties. Uh, Finally, the (laughs) Dalsinis and the Cortes were arrested and taken to court, and they found themselves standing in front of Judge Raleigh Webb, who looked down at all and said, So, why are we all here? And the officer stepped forward and said, Your Honor... Uh, these gentlemen, the Dalsinis and the quarters were fighting in front of the uh, hideaway, and I stepped in to stop the fight. Oh, excuse me. Did you say you stepped in to stop the fight? Yes, I stepped in to stop the fight. Yeah, why would you do that? that, that, that that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Uh, you should have gotten your butt kicked over that. Well, I did, Your Honor. Great. Well, case dismissed. Now, that's the Petaluma I remember, as a matter of fact. It was a drinking and brawling town in the 60s. Uh, If you were a junior high kid that ever went to the roost dances over at the Kenilworth Center, boy, were those a hoot. And we would go over just to watch the fights. They wouldn't let us in because we were still in junior high. But you could stand outside that thing, and by the end of the night, there'd be fists swinging and and anger, and it was fun to watch.
3: I think what precipitated some of those fights at the roost dances was alcohol. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Even though they were mostly high school kids. Yeah, they were. uh, They let the kids smoke in the roost dances. So it was like an adult atmosphere with all the, the fighting, and it uh, wasn't uh, rowdy. There was always a fight afterwards, yeah. uh, but there's plenty of, of tipsy kids and vomiting and things
0: <laughs> Things of that nature. <laughs> <laughs> that Dulcini-Corda story, that's just a great little story about Petaluma. I think that sums it up pretty nicely, can, or at uh, least an era of Petaluma. I
3: recall observing Judge Webb. We used to just go watch court sometimes, and if two people were brought in for fighting, the first thing he would ask is, do you know how to fight? He was a boxer. He was a championship boxer. And he Who would have guessed? really <laughs> got annoyed at guys that didn't know how to fight.
4: And he really captures the spirit of Petaluma because I think all these stories, Petaluma's always had a strong identity of itself. And it's always been the central of a large rural community, a shipping community. So people did congregate here. And bars were, you know, part of that, you know. But you had, at least when we were growing up, and Harlan grew up a little earlier than I did. You graduated high school in 65? Yes. 65, and Tom and I graduated in 73, 73. but it was still a self-contained city. When we were growing up, it was starting to become a bedroom community more so. But you still had characters who loom large around town. And they were very outsized. And not only my imagination as a kid, but, you know, Raleigh Webb didn't have a law degree. He was a justice what? of peace. No. He right. never went to law school. That's, right. That's okay. right. And, you know, he'd be often found in the bars at night drinking <laughs> himself. That's right. <laughs> I know because my father's cousin, Al McMahon, replaced him at the circuit judge. Judge McMahon. And Judge Did McMahon they... handled Sonoma and Petaluma. Did he have he, he a made... law degree? <laughs> yeah. He had a law degree. <laughs> he had an actual law degree, unlike Raleigh. But... <laughs> this was a big change. But the beauty of it, that even with Al McMahon, is that the Elks Club, which was then in the Petaluma Hotel, Yeah. Everybody retired to the Elks Club at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, including Judge McMahon, but he always had one of the sheriff's deputies pick him up and drive him home to Sonoma. <laughs> so the next morning, and I can tell this from personal history, my father would be drinking with his cousin, the judge, out at the, judge. Down the Elk, Elks Club. The judge would get out and the, hop in the sheriff's car be driven home my father would drive home get picked up for a DUI <laughs> oh and the next morning <laughs> appear before his cousin <laughs> and, and plead I only had two beers and the judge would say like hell you did! I bought you at least four and that was the kind of town this was so even though we had Judge McMahon succeed Raleigh Webb I mean what happened in the courtroom was
1: not that marginally <laughs> yeah. different right no <laughs> really not
3: <laughs> I think what benefited Padelma with Judge Webb was that he was actually a Resident. He grew up here, went to school. So he knew the quarters and the Dulcini's, and he knew all the participants in these activities. He knew their behavior, and he actually had that type of behavior, too, (laughs) uh, away from the bench.
1: (laughs) One would
0: assume. Yeah. Those characters in the last 15 years, I guess, have started passing on, right? Uh, yeah. So yes. I think it's good to document them. You know,
3: this is what mm-hmm. Bill Sobranis did so well. Yeah. So,
0: well, there's a character for us. Let's he, talk he about was Bill a character
4: himself. He chronicled the characters of town, not only the characters in town, but the characters who passed through town, uh-huh. yes. and there yes. were quite a few. And I think you have to go. With what we were talking about before with the Argus, and this being a self-contained town, it was self-sufficient. You didn't have to leave town to buy anything. Don't You know, you had all your shopping down here at downtown. Downtown. You had the grocery stores downtown. You never went to a mall or anywhere out of the city that I can remember to buy anything.
3: You virtually weren't allowed to shop out of town. (laughs) The the Argus Courier was not allowed to run any ads. I I can't say not allowed. The Olmsteads decided they would not run any
0: ads. The owners of the paper. uh,
3: Correct. uh, Publisher of the paper. Yeah. For national companies. They were hyper-local. Thomasini's hardware.
2: Yep. Right. Before there was a phrase "hyper local." That's right. Yes. Yep. Yes. It's true.
3: And he would have been frowned upon if he ran any of those ads. He didn't want to. He actually hired somebody in the '60s that said, "You can double your revenue with the paper," and he said, "Never mind. We're fine the way we are." <laughs>
0: and then that man was fired. <laughs> that man. Was, that's right. He, it didn't go anyway.
3: So this is what maintained Petaluma. As if self contained,
4: and I think you had the Argus, which was a daily, it and then really you also was. had newspaper, yeah. KTOP.
1: yes, top uh, of the bay. Uh, now, yes. Ron, and Kate,
4: Walters. Ron Walters was sort of the other side of Bill Sabrinas in way, a little more updated, more mm-hmm. with the current culture. But this was when you tuned in every morning on the radio. Ron was calling all kinds of characters around town. He was talking to people. He called all the gas station attendants. Clem McCorkle, (laughs) yes, uh, Stan the Man Greenhagen, Stan Greenhagen, and I think Greenhagen had the
0: place out in Denman's Flat. This is a a radio station that was operating out of. Yeah, Yeah.
4: yes, right down the
2: street. Right down the street. K T O B T O B -B for top of the bay. But your trivia for though I don't know the next five minutes is the original call letters were K. A-F-P. Yes. Crowing always for Petaluma. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, love it. <laughs> we need okay. to bring that back. Let's say who Bill Sobranis was. If you're doing a Petaluma history episode in 2014, my God, you can't leave Bill Sobranis Mr. out. Mr. Petaluma. He was a columnist for the Argus Courier. Native, a columnist Native from, born. Right. Native he born.
2: descended yeah. one side from the Caulfields of Caulfield Lane on the east yes. side, and on the other side from the Vallejos. There are those who say that his house on East Washington is. Probably the oldest house in town. Left standing yeah. where it was, probably. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether, I don't know whether that's true or not, but and I've that's heard And that's right before. across the
4: street from the new Starbucks
2: there. Co- yeah, it is. Yes, correct. <laughs> yeah.
3: Which, the Starbucks is on the property that his uncle, Tom Caulfield, had a grocery store. Grocery store, yes, yeah.
4: Yeah, right,
2: Caulfield's oh. Market.
3: Yeah. Actually, the meat market was Caulfield's, and the grocery store was run by Lamar Lawrenson. But they always had Caulfield's meats, and... Tom Caulfield, who was a rugged guy too, Bill used to love to write about boxing and fighting, and he was a pretty tough guy. Well, he, so. he
0: loved to write about that stuff, and then he himself founded the wrist wrestling championship, mm-hmm. the wrist wrestling, which yeah. was yeah. 1952 to 2003. 52. Okay, Gelardis, right. yes. But it yeah. pretty much started on a
1: bet, more or less, I think, at the back of a bar one night. And Gelardis, bar. Gilardi's, yeah.
4: And this Gilardi's is important to understand the classic bars. Gelardis was the alpha bar in town at the time in the 50s and 60s. And the, then you had Andreessen's and the Spa and the Hideaway. And the Mike Gelardi on. was one one of those outsized characters yes. who pretty much swung his weight around town, you know? A very impressive guy. So that was the place to meet.
3: That was Diamond Mike
0: Gilardi.
4: Yeah, Diamond Mike. Right. That's exactly so right. So that's
0: where Sobranis hosted his first wrist wrestling. Right. But I think right.
4: you should go back a little bit to Bill's story early on. He was a St. Vincent's boy. My father went to St. Vincent's as well. And Bill was a couple of years older. He was in class with my aunt. And Bill apparently had what we'd call ADD
0: today. <laughs> Katie Watts actually worked alongside Bill and Did you as well, Harlem? <laughs> yes, I did. So these two individuals here actually were able to witness this character in person. But, so so
4: in, in school, he chewed his pencils. The nuns had to take pencils away from him. He was given a, a little chalkboard with a piece of chalk to write on wow. because he Bill, fidgeted, yeah, fidgeted it a lot. Mm-hmm. And But I don't know when he got his first camera because he was known as a peopleologist, and his quest in life was to be photographed with more people than anybody else I in the think, world. I
2: think,
1: did he not make it into the Guinness Book
4: of Records for That
2: I don't know. We probably have check with yeah, Bill tried. Hammerman because oh. he w- he was it working on failed. that failed the
3: peopleologist but, failed th- but you Boo. do you <laughs> do
2: know why Bill had his photo taken that way because Bill learned that yes. if you put your hand Around the person's shoulder, <laughs> yes. that they couldn't cut out your they hand.
0: Yeah. yeah, your fingers had <laughs>
2: right. to be in the shot.
0: <laughs> and you see all these classic shots with Bill. That was a format that he would do in his photos. It would always be his arm oh, around Oh, yes. yes. With celebrities. Always. So uh-huh.
4: <laughs> he would always go to San Francisco he and fit right in in 2014, yes. right. wouldn't he? Many <laughs> he of
3: those times, he would just. Walk up to somebody and do it and have it, a it mm-hmm. right.
4: <laughs> picture of him with the Beatles. <laughs> yes, bomb. Is there really? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Frank Sinatra. That's, I mean, everybody. Yeah. Uh-huh. Everybody played but, the city. Bill was there. Yes. Yeah.
2: He had nerves of steel. Or no nerves. <laughs> no, Nothing no, frightened no nerves. him. Nothing bothered him. <laughs> no. He just <laughs> sailed right in.
0: What makes this man stand out as such a Petaluma legend?
2: Because he loved Petaluma above all else. Yes. And because he could find a Petaluma connection anywhere. Yep. He boosted Petaluma incessantly. That is not too strong a word to use. No. Everything in Bill's world was related to Petaluma.
1: And from what I understand is, I don't think in all the years that he wrote... He ever said a bad word about anybody. Thank you.
2: He knew That's so true. much dirt, and he never said anything right. except kind things.
1: One of my favorite stories about Bill, Anwar Sadat, was in San Francisco, the uh, Egyptian president. president? Was he? So he was in San Francisco, and all of the reporters were down at the bottom of the hotel in the lobby waiting to at least get a picture of him. He wasn't going to do any interviews with anybody. He was just in town to take care of business. He was going to get out, and he wasn't going to talk to anybody. They're all waiting in the lobby of this hotel to see, at least get a picture of him. And finally, they know he's coming down. He's coming down on the elevator. The elevators coming down. The elevators coming down. The doors open up, and who should step out with Anwar Sadat? Bill Sabranis. <laughs> Boom.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should mention that guy. he never drove. Bill no, Walker. That's right. Bill walked everywhere. Walked everywhere.
4: He tried to date my mother during the war, took her up to La Cresta and tried to kiss her, and that was the end of that. <laughs> but forever after that, he was in love with her, and so he would always show up at our house around dinner time very often, and he'd have dinner, and my parents would eat and go watch TV, and then he would entertain my sister and I with all these stories
1: while we washed up the dishes, you know? And I'd he like incessant. to say, it took talent to understand Bill, by oh, the yes. way. Oh, he yes. was a
4: fast he'd and He talked like a talker. machine gun. Machine uh-huh. gun. and. To, I don't know if you're the one, Katie, who told me the story about how he took notes when he interviewed people. So he wrote a column which is called Three Dot Journalism, much like Herb Cain did in oh, San Francisco. Right. He started to find the city, and his column was a, a stage that people pass through all the time. And you wanted to see every day if you were mentioned in Bill's column yes. and who was and who wasn't. You know, But when he walked around town and he made a circuit all day long, he kept a notepad in his
0: coat pocket. And while he was talking to people, he'd be writing notes in his pocket. Is that right? Right? Isn't that the... Oh, that's a great thing. Uh Okay, now I have to ask, who at this table was featured in Bill Sobranis' column?
2: Oh, Oh, I think we we all were. We all (laughs) were. Absolutely. Look at that. Everybody
0: but me is raising their hand. And I
2: will mention that when I was at the Argus, after I learned the ropes, uh, one of my duties was editing Bill. And, of course, I realized almost immediately that you could not edit Bill. There's just no way around it. So I would proofread it. And if I felt that it wasn't up to... The Billness factor, as I termed it. I would throw in a couple more Petalumas here, and Bill (laughs) phrases here and there. And when in doubt, use the word mingle, because that was Bill's favorite word, that he mingled with people.
4: Now I want to ask, because this is the rumor, I think on the Sunday column that Bill wrote a long kind of narrative story often. And this was the rumor I'd heard that Miss Sabranis, his sister... I was sister, going to ask that very question. It was a first grade teacher. Second yes. grade. Pardon me? Second, second grade. Second grade okay. yes. at McKinley her, or... At McKinley when I was there.
3: At originally the first McKinley school and then she
4: moved over the, to... To the new one because Tom and I were in McKinley together. We go absolutely. back to that period. Oh, okay. But I understood that she did all the... Rewriting that he would, like, fill his notebooks up and file them with her, and she would write the columns, or at least the longer columns.
2: Okay. Uh, What I will tell you is what I heard from Jane Sabranis, which (laughs) is nobody but Bill ever wrote Bill's columns. But having read the huge difference between the daily column and the Sunday columns, I'm not sure I agree with that. (laughs) Harlan? Uh, When uh, I was a kid,
3: we always heard the rumor that Margaret, his sister— wrote the columns or helped him write the columns see his father died when he was a kid
4: and his father ran the shoe factory right i'm not sure what yeah that was mine. he was the manager of the famous shoe factory on the east side and you're an old east i'm an east petaluma i
3: was the paper boy at their house because they couldn't rely on him to bring a paper home (laughs) (laughs) so we got it delivered every day she was 11 years older than bill so she essentially raised him and mothered him and the, she was a mom, spinster, too, right? She was a spinster, yes. Went to Dominican University.
4: and uh, Very smart woman. Is that oh, right? oh,
3: wonderful woman. So inspiring and, and supportive. And
1: yeah, very, very. And
3: so very. when we were kids, we always heard the rumors that Margaret wrote the column or helped write it. And then when he got married, that transferred to Jane was doing it. Yeah. But I don't believe anybody did it other than the editors at the paper who were dumbfounded by...
2: <laughs> there there was no way, really. You just had to let the bill factor shine through. Absolutely. But
3: you asked uh-huh. about being mentioned in his column. We used to stop him as, when we were 11, 12 years old and just contrive something. We're going to have a football game against the east side <laughs> and the west side yeah. and hear who we are and... Inevitably, the names were all misspelled, so we would get a kick out of <laughs> who do you really or there, there was a rock fight, you know, between this. And this is how we would get our names
0: uh, in the news. And, and
4: his col- the name of his column originally was So They Tell Me. So Correct. They Tell Me. Yeah. And uh-huh. that's what he was. He had his ear to the ground, he walked around town, and, you know, he started the morning off, I'm sure, at U.S. Bakery. Yeah. Which is right. where Della Vittoria is now, which yeah. was where the power brokers oh, in town met. Most of the
1: business of Petalum was decided there in, in the in morning.
4: Seven to nine o'clock, that's where the meeting happened. Then you could find went,
1: all the councilmen there and all, all the, the business
4: leaders. The mayor, yes. Yep, Tom's father would be down there yeah, cutting deals would, on real estate.
1: Cutting deals. So, <laughs>
4: But then, you know, and this is the story I hear from Tom's father, uh, Tom Gaffey Sr. So okay. this is how the day would go. And Bill would be right in with everybody. Everyone would go off to work then after the morning meet at U.S. Bakery. And you'd go to your office from 9 to 12 or whatever you did and do your business. <laughs> then everyone would head over to the El Sombrero. El Sombrero. <laughs> now, the El Sombrero was where the Bank of America is now. Harlan remembers. Yes. And the old Bank of America was a mirror of where the Seat Bank is today. Yeah, it was another it was Same be- building. It was Same beautiful. building. But there were buildings north and east of it. So north of it was the El Sombrero, right between...
1: Kind of a ramshackle building, as yeah. I recall. Yeah, right
4: next to the park, the Incredible Penry Park food. Incredible food. Incredible oh, food. But everyone would gather there for about two hours, and it was heavy drinking, martinis <laughs> and margaritas. And that's where business was conducted at that point. That you know? yeah,
1: was, and also the Tivoli, I think, got Yeah, and got, the got Tivoli
4: was a little evening action. So then everyone would go back to their offices and open mail for about three hours. Yeah. But at five o'clock, everyone gathered back at the Elks Club, which was in the Peddle the Hotel, Club. and things would continue there till eight o'clock at night, and then they'd go yeah. home to their wives. Basically. And
1: then every once in a while, I'd find myself downtown with my mom or something when I was a little kid, and we'd meet my dad and his crew coming out of the Elks Club, and it would be so remarkable to me. This doesn't seem like my dad. <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah, it's like a, you know. right. And at Thursday nights, they would take their wives to Cinema Joe's. Oh. <laughs> yes, they <laughs> were. You remember Snowman Joe's, Harlan? Oh, sure, sure. The Montero's
2: oh, That place, was Montero. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. So Bill has passed away in 2003, is that correct? And he did not miss that deadline. He died with a column in that we could run that day. Wow, and never missed. And I will tell you that we were being printed at the Press Democrat by that time. It was really tight because I was writing and rewriting and rewriting. And we said, hold the presses. And the guy who ran the presses at the PD held the presses for Bill. He said, I knew Bill, yeah. and I'm holding the presses as long as it takes. Wow, that's beautiful. Bill actually
3: yeah. worked at the Press Democrat before he worked at the Argus. Correct. Then he got his job as a columnist down here. So
1: it's so good the Olmsteads hired him after
4: that. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was so good.
4: But I think in the longer history of the town, next to, um, is it Kerrigan, who was the big egg? Bert, Bert Kerrigan, yeah, right. Chamber of Commerce Manager. Right, in the 1910s, who really put pedal on the map as the egg basket of the world. He was a major promoter. I think he and Bill are the two major promoters of the city Bill yeah. was
3: since its founding. He never wrote a column that he didn't finish with somehow boost Petaluma, yeah. tell your friends about Petaluma, yes. or a little blurb about the wrist wrestling tournament, Yep. the mm-hmm. rowboat race that he had during Old Adobe Day. The Whiskerino contest
1: the Whiskerino. that he started. Whiskerino. The
4: Walkathon. My cancer. Walkathon. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. you know what and what i remember the most is the same thing john remembered. he used to get the evening stories from bill after dinner he would come down when i was a kid working here at the theater and just hang out and tell me stories and whoever was in the lobby and it just it made you love this town so much it made me so proud to be a Petaluman. as he told these stories you could tell how much he loved it and how real these adventures were and, and you'd hear these things and think oh my god could you really do that (laughs) <laughs> because some of this stuff, oh my God, Bill. <laughs> I, I'd like to mention that I
3: would never have taken the job as a columnist if it wouldn't have been for reading Bill all my life. And that was because he he wrote about everybody. He wrote about yep. the people that work downtown, the businessmen, the bartenders, the barbers. And he wrote about the farmers. He wrote about everybody that came into town, that crossed paths with him. And I learned that Petaluma was a greater than just the city limits. Mm -hmm. I was intimidated again that I had to follow Katie. Katie did her (laughs) column. Nobody's ever going to read me, you know, after after these things but we have a different perspective actually that's I'd, right yes. so it, it seems to have worked out
0: but so bill Sabranis probably has been an inspiration for the work that you do to this day
3: absolute inspiration yeah he wrote his three dot column with all the subjects but he also wrote a feature story every week yep. and, and that it feature might have been a little difficult to read but it was well awesome but
4: you know what i was impressed by he had a real soft spot for the down and out And he grew up Mm -hmm. over on the old east there on East Washington Street, right by the train depot. And, you know, when he was a kid in the 30s growing up, in the early 40s, we had a lot of hobos coming through town in the Depression. And... Bill formed an early fascination with these people. On the Sunday features, which I loved, were often tales of these characters who blew through town. Yeah. And they yes. came from all over the place. Yes. Uh, Desert Dan. They had all these Desert, crazy Desert names. Desert Dan
2: Delaney. Yeah. Oh, he was oh. marvelous. They
4: were bigger than life kind of characters and they roamed around on the rails and stuff. I mean, for a kid growing up and reading yes. that, my imagination just soared. I mean, so I was inspired by Bill to get on the road and get out oh. and do some hoboating yeah. and hobo-ing. some railroading. <laughs> and, you know, just because he He painted these colorful characters. And to other people, they would have been oddballs. They're bums. are bums, you know. But he brought the richness of their lives, and he showed them what they brought to town. So they weren't just the other. Because, you know, people came through the railroad areas, were seen as the other in in town. And he brought them into the fold. He made them part of Petaluma.
1: You know, and that's what ended me in the Phoenix Theater. Bill would come and tell me stories in the lobby of this theater about what a great guy Doc Nafey was yes. and how highly held he was in regard in this town and I used to hear these stories and I used to think you know I want to do that. So I grew up with this impression that this guy was universally loved. He used this theater in such a, such a wonderful way. I want to emulate Inspired that. Inspired you to live the life that you have gone on Honest to live? Honest to God, that's partly why I'm here. <laughs> then, maybe as time goes on, I start to hear from people that worked here, and I'm wondering if maybe there maybe was
0: just a little difference to the story. There. So we open it up to the panel. What do we know about Doc Nafee, former operator of the Phoenix Theater?
3: I believe if you talk to your grandmother, she'll remind you that when she worked for him, his favorite slogan was, get out of my show. And he was relentless with his flashlight and anybody talking. But I got to tell you, out to my show.
1: Jim Mastretti <laughs> told me, he said, you know, it's, so yes, I remember every Friday night, we'd get rowdy downstairs and he would throw us out, but he would gladly sell us a ticket to get back in. <laughs>
3: uh, when I was a teenager, an early teenager, like 13, 14 On Saturday morning, you could show up at the front door, if you were among the first, say, six kids or so, and clean out the show. We would sweep it out from the night before, and you'd get a pass for that day.
4: You know, one of the things that always amazes me, probably the premier movie critic of the 20th century, Pauline Kael, Kael. who wrote for The New Yorker for 30 years, grew up here in Petaluma, Kael Egg Farms, and... She spent her childhood in what was the Mystic Theater, now we call it the Mystic in the state, watching movies. And that's where she cut her teeth, essentially. So I worked at the state when I was in high school, and this was after Dakini sold it to a man named Finley. Yeah. who was a rather strange character. He had you a club... work for Alan. Yes, I work for Alan. Oh. He had a club foot and one shoe, the platform was four inches higher than the other. Very strange man. He also owned the Parkway Theater, which was our drive-in theater. My job at the state, when I was in high school, and Tom and I were in high school, and Tom was working as assistant manager here yep. at the, what was known as the Showcase. Showcase. The this was our hangout, basically. We are the yeah. proto-Phoenix at that time. We, was...
1: Was, we were the proto-Phoenix. <laughs> I try and get as much of that as I possibly can.
4: <laughs> but I had a job on Tuesday nights changing the marquee on the state and on the parkway too. But the thing about the state was it ran deep throat for five years solid. That wasn't the Guinness book of world it records. It set a record. And so my job was just changing the second feature every <laughs> week. Okay. And I had to go down into the theater and into one of the little side exits to get the ladder to go out there. And so he forced me to come at the same time every week. So I just saw the same five minutes
1: of deep throat <laughs> every week for like two years. Oh, my God. Okay. And, and I really all he changed was behind the green door one week or yeah, Debbie it's Does it's Dallas. Debbie and and right. right. Goes Dallas, yeah. And
4: and I, what I remember is coming out of the side door with the long ladder and like as I swung around, knocking like rows of guys in the head, and no one ever said a thing.
1: There was a church group that was actually standing across the street from the theater one time, trying to shame their customers oh, really? by taking their pictures. I wonder if they got one of you. I don't know, but
4: it amazed me. I mean, this is a town of well, at that time probably fifteen to twenty thousand people, yeah. but apparently there were a lot of well, or a lot of people just repeat visits. You know? Alan was doing well. Yeah. Then i drive out to the parkway to change the marquee out there, and Alan lived with his mother in the projection booth right. there.
3: <laughs> oh.
4: You know, they had the big projectors in that building. And then off to the side, they had a little living room set up with a TV and a kitchen, and and his mother would be sewing and knitting over there, and Alan would be changing the, the reels, essentially. and you know, I'd go and get paid every week from him there. And so the other thing i did they ran a double feature like most of these shows in those days and after the first feature the guy in the little ticket booth outside the drive-in would leave and so after i changed the marquee i'd go out there and i'd sit down low and wait for people to cruise in thinking they're getting free and then i'd shake them down for a few bucks (laughs) i think the important thing about tom he was the assistant manager here when we were in high school but the manager was a gambling fiend and oh, was, was always, was he at the spa or where was he yeah, always was, gambling? The
1: spa was happening. They were playing cards at the spa. What is the spa? The spa oh, was 24-hour oh, fitness is where the spa is now, yes. I think. Oh, yes. Let's talk a little Chef bit about the spa. Leo, It was the only place you could get food after hours in Petaluma, and they had great burgers and great spa fries. Burgers. If best you: Best li- ever. If you like grease.
2: Yes. Oh God, they were great. Yes. Uh-huh. So, can... so
1: the spa. Why was it called the spa? It was Chef Leo Spa. That was the name of the bar. If you walked in, the bar was on the right side and then there was a card room on the left, as I yep. recall.
0: I think my dad used to like to go play cards there with the Tikinis. <laughs> your your dad Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that, yeah. Yes. Well your grandfather
4: who your are for, Jim Ages, and yeah. my father were best friends in high school. Okay. So they were running buddies. And I think you can understand that whole generation of guys who went to the war and pretty much ran the town in the 50s, and Harlan yeah, knew yes, him very well. They were pretty rowdy guys. Yeah, and they were, were hard-drinking, hard-living, hard-loving. Yeah. I mean, they they just had a hell of a great time. Jeff <laughs> Leo
3: was a character himself. Oh, was he, great? Yeah. he loved to have the Petalumans in there yeah. buying his booze and... You know, at closing every night, remember what he was said. At, when, if you ever were in there closing time, he would turn the lights up and say, "Hotel motel time. Get six packs
4: to go." He would say, "Get your six packs to go." <laughs> now and you're two o five. Now then, the red light district when we were around high school was Second Street, around G and H, the whole little uh, row of houses. And I don't know if that was the case in the '60s and well, '50s or.
3: Uh, Until about 1960, the greenhouse on Hopper Street was still going.
0: Oh. And that was where I could go, say, if I wanted...
3: If you were of age,
0: if I was of age, yeah,
3: Yeah, because sixteen, I I think, was
0: age. Oh, they had. Okay, so there (laughs) were some rules. uh
3: (laughs) We actually were fourteen years old, knocked on the door, and it opened about three inches. You know, yeah, but it, you could see the cars. We knew that it was what the rumors were because of all the cars
0: back in the day. Did they bust places like that, or they just kind of let them go? That
3: wasn't busted uh, until Uh... we got a chief of police. And the oh, chief of police. So, somebody
0: came. around the table it, just signaled the hand thing, which mean means money. Money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Petaluma yeah. was a greased town. Yeah. Yes. Gotta
3: realize that was the east side. Yeah. You know? yeah
0: it was the east side. Was
4: always <laughs> <laughs> a little down shady. by the tracks. Down uh, by the <laughs> tracks. Yeah. Down by the tracks. And That's the greenhouse exactly
3: right. was uh, not. Tar paper, but shingles for the siding. So well, now, what
4: about Harlan? You might know. What about
0: Beasley's upstairs? Oh, now,
4: I don't
3: recall there. anything of upstairs at Beasley's.
0: There were the rumors.
1: when This we were is where sure, I
4: guess Seeret is
0: now. So. where Graziano's was right on the yes. boulevard.
4: We were a full service town. Were, we we were. were. You got everything and, you needed in this town. You,
0: like was, you said, you didn't have to leave the no, city no, limits. One I've...
3: thing: <laughs> the girls were not local girls. Oh, they actually came mm-hmm. on the bus or the train every day. From what I was told, Oakland or somewhere, but
4: I would, or maybe San Francisco. But they weren't
3: local girls. Well,
1: how could you? Where would you go when you're done?
4: <laughs> See, this is the beauty of the small, self contained town. Everybody knows everything. I mean, everybody yeah. knew everybody's business. Yeah. Even when I was growing up, and I, I'm sure it was, it was more for Harlan being at your time, but when Tom and I started growing up in town, the town was growing because growing. the East Side was growing. But yeah. still, because my family had been here, like Jim, your family, a long time. When I walked around town, people watched me. I mean, if I did something downtown, it got back to my parents pretty quickly. It still does. It, you for know, me. it's still yes. that
0: way. It's yes. very interesting in that way. Yeah, I've heard this phrase so many times: "The town without pity." I don't know if you've heard that. Oh one, yes, so I know the town without pity. Yeah. So, I'll t- a story. My, my story growing up, I
4: had four great uncles who were all bachelors in town in Wildman. The, the wildest was Bill Casey who's written up quite a bit in Bill Sobranis's column, because Bill was one of the major bootleggers in the 20s. Yeah. He ran the Sea Scouts. They took the Sea Scout boat down the Pendleton River, and they'd load it up with booze,
0: and they'd bring <laughs> it back. The Sea or, Scouts. Uh, the Sea Scouts. <laughs> <And> Statute of <laughs> limitations <laughs> is passed, and so, so that's fine. You know,
4: his headquarters was the back of Volpe's. He's very well known at Volpe's. He was called the superintendent of the sidewalks. He was a card shark. He was a womanizer, and he was on the fire brigade, the famous 1912 fire brigade, in fact. I grew up with that reputation. I went to school at Penelma High because my whole family went to St. Vincent's, but my father had been traumatized by the nuns, so I wasn't <laughs> allowed to go there. So all my family went to St. Vincent's except me, and I had a crush on Oni Fredericks' daughter when I was in high, well, junior high school. And he, Oni Fredericks, was a good friend of your grandfather, Jim, and my father. Three of them were three amigos in St. Vincent's growing up, and he ran the furniture store, which is now where. The, right across from that bank is Oomkwa um, um, bank, um, 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 bank across yeah. from the Petal Market that was his furniture store the client's furniture so I had a crush on his daughter but I only saw her on Sundays at St. Vincent's church so one night I'm waiting for her outside of church and suddenly an old lady with a cane comes and starts beating me over the head <laughs> <laughs> yelling, you're one of those Casey's boys! You stay away from my granddaughter! (laughs) I never saw her again. I never saw her again. again. And that defined my experience in town.
0: That that was my experience of growing up in town. Town without pity. So Fanny got shut down. Do we know how Fanny's operation got shut down?
2: The town purged from time to time and they would turn a blind eye to it as much as they could, but eventually the women just got to upset and fanny had to shut down
0: and whatever became a fanny
2: i do not know
0: does no. anybody know no
2: no, what that's, about?
3: That's why we need Bill. Yeah, to, yeah, Bill
2: would complete know. The story. Oh, or Dennis Dewitt yeah. knew a great deal oh. about Dennis it. Dennis Dewitt, that yeah. was you know
1: what former
2: I, former chief of police. He, yeah, he
1: he and I were at loggerheads many times, but you couldn't love a guy more.
2: No, you really.
1: couldn't. He really was the real deal, and yeah. he really meant so well.
0: So we've we've been jumping around a lot. Earlier, somebody said that you know you can't mention Petaluma without mentioning two people, Bill Sabranis being one of them. Bert Kerrigan being the other one, the they ultimate hired, Petaluma pruner. They
2: hired him to find out uh, what they could do to make Petaluma better. They, they wanted to market Petaluma. And they said, Here's what we've got. And they toured him around, and he looked around and looked about at it for three days. And he finally said, You need to capitalize on what you've got. You've got eggs. Put all your eggs in one basket, and that was exactly what happened. So he coined the phrase the egg basket of the world or the world's egg basket or the egg capital of the world, all of which were untrue. There were other cities of that name. Uh, National Egg Day, which was August eighteenth, 1918. That was the first National Egg Day. People were exhorted to eat eggs. Petaluma's colors, should you care, are yellow and white, naturally, the color of the white and the yolk and nothing was too bizarre a stunt. So people who came uh, to Petaluma were given a good egg awards, which was brought back in the in the 1980s. And we're still doing yes. it to we're this still day. Still I think we might be day.
4: sitting, both Harlan and Katie are yes, good eggs. Correct. Yes, correct.
1: And they are good eggs. Thank you
2: so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he didn't give bouquets. He would give bouquets of dressed chickens. <laughs> So nice. you would be given this dead plucked chicken wrapped up in yellow and white tissue paper. Thank you, Bert. Oh. They would hard boil dozens upon dozens of eggs, and they would hand them out at parades in San Francisco. They but then did. he exploded,
4: right? I mean, it's sort of he was a shooting star.
2: Yes, he did not last for, what, maybe Ten years, maybe less. And well, why, this town can't eat you up. It can eat you up. <laughs> town off. without and, pity, you know. And <laughs> and the egg market d- did not last.
4: Yeah. The Depression hit, too. Depression I mean, this is hit. what took mm-hmm. the legs out of the right. market. But he really took it to new heights. Yes. I mean, they were shipping like 18 million eggs a day mm-hmm. at the height there. Right. So.
0: Now, did he have anything to do with Petaluma as a city, like lobbying the federal government? Yes. Um, oh, yeah. So I had read that in like the early 1920s, Petaluma successfully lobbied the federal government for tariffs to keep cheaper Chinese eggs Correct. from undermining our prices Absolutely. here. Absolutely. And yes. so he had a hand in that mm-hmm. then. Okay, so Katie, you you were mentioning that this is the era of Petaluma that you love. You've done countless features on this era when Burt was around.
2: When Burt was around, when Petaluma was at its height, when it was the richest city of its size. Per capita. Per capita, in In the country. In the country. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? You mentioned something that
1: that took me by surprise. Um, Did the egg industry collapse uh, with the Depression? It It sagged with the depression.
2: It did not collapse, as I understand it, Mm -hmm. until the advent of air conditioning made growing eggs possible in the Central Valley. Is that right, John?
4: Right. That's partly true. And also, refrigerated trucks had a lot to do with Uh, the chicken industry in the 50s. So that's when Frank Perdue and a lot of the factory farms started, and they could ship eggs and chicken around the country. And they didn't need to have fresh eggs. Like, we shipped a lot of eggs down the river to San Francisco. That's Mm -hmm. how we made our money. And then they went to other ports. Mm -hmm. But with the refrigeration after the World War II, that's where things dipped. My understanding and what happened during the Depression is the price of feed went up. And that's what really drove a lot of these farmers down quite a bit. But it did, the industry did hang on. But then in the 50s, I mean, what you see in this town is the agriculture base started shifting in the 50s. Largely because the egg community and the chicken industry started dropping. And then the dairy guys even ran into same kind of troubles. I mean there were a lot of price supports that came into play with the dairy guys through the 50s and 60s. So, yeah. you know, Tom and I were in grammar school in the yeah. early 60s over at McKinley, and you were in high school, Carlin. But it was kind of depressed in this town. Downtown was depressed, I would say, in the mid-60s, you know. Yeah. That's when they were talking about demolishing Main
1: Street and doing what they did oh, in Santa man. Rosa and put a yes. big
4: mall through the whole town. They are going to yes. demolish all
1: those buildings. Oh, and they took out some of the grandest of our old buildings at that right. point.
2: But when you look at how much worse it could have been, oh, yeah. one of the plans was to cover Kentucky Street with... Um, Green corrugated plastic, yes, and make a Walker's Mall out of it. A Walker's Mall, uh huh. And then everything on the east side of the boulevard between Western and Washington would have been raised. All those buildings, yep. and that would have been oh. parking.
0: Yep. It's funny, when you look back at some of these almost decisions, which would have just changed oh. this town forever. We talked about Jeez. Petaluma trying to become the county seat in the mid uh, or mm-hmm. 1850s or yeah. whatever. Um, and then in 1915, they tried to do something, or it was 1919, excuse me, they tried to set up their own county. And that's when they tried I like yeah, that. I like the idea. I'd like yep. to do it again. And, yeah. uh, yes. and the, the state legislature <laughs> came in in 1921 and said, no, you're not going to do
1: that. But that's what saves this town. Could you you imagine if it was like 1854 or so when it was decided that the county seat was going to be moved Mm -hmm. from uh, Sonoma to one of the larger towns and it would have been Petaluma, but apparently whatever year that was, it was in the early 1850s, I think, or mid-1850s, Santa Rosa decided they wanted to be the county seat. So they had a 4th of July barbecue and, and invited everyone from the county to this barbecue, got everybody drunk, and made everybody convinced of what a cool <laughs> town it was. And at that point, it was just a fork in the road. Yeah, it was totally a fork But in the it way. was such a party that it was decided and voted that Santa Rosa would <laughs> indeed be the county seat. they paid people off at that party. Well, that they probably that. did. Undoubtedly. <laughs> I mean, and so they won the county seat there. But think about... What Petaluma would be like today. Yeah, if we would it was be Santa Rosa. We and, would be oh my Santa God. Rosa. They wanted to, Cannonball Park was where they intended to put the county buildings. Yep. Well, oh my gosh, downtown yeah. Petaluma would be a mess today. Yeah.
0: Okay, so we were talking about the egg industry and, uh, you know, Kerrigan putting this town on the map essentially with all the promotion. And you believe that, uh, Katie, that some of it was sort of bogus, but whatever. People bought it, right?
2: It was wonderful. It was a simple time, and it was so... Ingenuous <laughs> and so well-meaning. You could start
3: a chicken ranch with virtually nothing and make money. Oh yes, and if you're willing to work hard, make money within a year. Yep,
0: that was so the case back in that day. That yes, was the case. yep. So Five acres.
4: When you read about the Jewish settlers to the town in a wonderful book called "Comrades and Chicken Ranchers" by Peter Kahn, which is an old Kenneth history. Kenneth Kahn. Kenneth Kahn, right? Thank you. Oral history of a lot of the Jewish families that settle here. I think they were sponsored by the Levi Strauss family, the Haas family, who brought them here from Eastern Europe in Russia, from the pogroms there, to learn agriculture before they would be sent to Palestine to settle Israel at time. And so they got five acres, and they set up the chicken ranches and they became very prosperous and they never left. They created a a very vibrant Jewish community here. Yeah, they really did. Which was known all around the world as one of the great salons in Paris and Greenwich Village and whatnot, as a socialist cell, which was amazing. I didn't know growing up here and, you know, later found that out because yeah. every, my mother and everybody else knew it, but no one talked about you it. You know,
1: John, so we had our, was it our 30th uh, high school reunion up at the country club? Yes, at the Petaluma Country Club. And we were, I was sitting around the table, and I was sitting with Sherry Jacknowitz, and we, I was looking around the room, and I said, You know, Sherry, it's been so long for me since I've been up here. When was the last time you can remember coming up here? And she looked at me, and she said, Tom, well, I've never been up here. You never went to the country club, Sherry? She goes, Tom, my name is Jacknowitz. Yes? We're Jewish. Yes. They didn't let Jews in in when we were in high school. That was in 1973. We were so trying to be the political activists in those days, we didn't even look in our own town to realize that our country club was not allowing Jews in the country club. Yeah, so these animosities had carried through. It's, It's a small town, but it still had a lot of the small town belief systems going, and those belief systems took us all the way through our high school years. And that was quite surprising. Bill has told me a story that uh, in 1939, and I don't know, Katie, if you've heard this or not, or Harlan, that uh, a Jew was tarred and feathered in Petaluma in 1939.
4: Oh, yeah. and It's in Peter Kahn's book. And the sheriff's department and stuff were involved in, essentially, and that's what went on. They went out to the ranchers' farms, and they burned down their barns, and they tarred and feathered them with the feathers of their own chickens, essentially, uh-huh. and marched them through the streets. And the synagogue, mm-hmm. which is on Fair Street, which is around the corner, I grew up on Bassett Street, my family's been there since the 1890s that synagogue was set up but there was no rabbi place there because those original members of that synagogue were radicals essentially they were socialist and communist and quite intellectual too the women were left back to work on the chicken ranch while well, they went down every day to the synagogue apparently and they engaged in all these intellectual discussions and writings and stuff and so You know, Golda Meir came through town in the 30s. Paul Robeson, the famous activist, came through town in the 50s. They all came to Petaluma. This was the place to come and speak and talk and discuss the ideas they were advancing for the establishment of Israel and whatnot. It's, It's a wonderful heritage of this town. That I'm really glad is being acknowledged right now.
0: And this is the period that you're fascinated by, John.
4: Oh, yeah. The 20s, the 30s, the
0: 40s. Because now, the 50s and 60s, this town changed economically.
4: From my point of view, you, you have the uh, river town in the 19th century. Essentially, that's what we were. And then the chicken industry, thanks to Bryce and... But Lyman
2: and Isaac Diaz.
4: Right. The establishment, the incubator right. here. And that grows, to, as Katie's talked about, to the peak in the early 1910s and whatnot. And then beginning, I would say, in the late 50s, early 60s, when Harlan and Tom and I are all growing up here, things shift. The agriculture goes down and what is replaced by is construction. In
1: 1961, coming into the south end of town, there was a billboard that said, Welcome to Petaluma, Northern California's fastest growing community.
4: You know, Tom and I grew up, we went to McKinley together yeah. when we were in second McKinley. grade and whatnot, but both of our families were involved in the construction. The construction boom. industry. Said, yeah, that's and my what father brought my was a plumber. Here. He worked for Novak, who built the early track homes on Payran, and they Early side of Mm McDowell, I guess down there in the early track homes. Uh, Oh, Ellis Street, yes. Ellis Street,
3: right. Uh, Burlington, Wilmington, Arlington.
4: Right. So, and Tom lived out there on the end of Payran. We were on Eleanor Court. Eleanor Court. And so that was part of the early track homes. Absolutely was. My dad was actually selling those homes. Yeah. So Novak, and he was in real estate. He was in real estate. So this was starting the boom years, and construction really took off Yeah, big time. And that's when we became more, because of the freeway coming in in the mid-50s, we became more accessible as a bedroom community to southern Moran. Yeah, and that's that's what we were being called
1: was a bedroom community. Yeah,
4: absolutely. And that became the growth here.
1: You know, uh, I was about maybe ten or eleven or so, and my my uh, godfather uh, was also a builder in redwood city and uh, he came to visit their family and we drove out washington street and uh, just before the airport, my dad motioned to the right and he said there's going to be ten thousand houses out there in the next twenty years and I could not imagine that it was a beautiful spring day, and that whole valley our whole valley was blown up in bright gold mustard weed and it was the most glorious thing that was actually not a natural uh, plant for our valley apparently either uh, it had come with the settlers but it was so beautiful to look at uh, our whole valley would just be a bright golden uh during the spring and it was such a wonderful thing you could run through this stuff and feel the stickiness of it and smell it and oh my god i used to love that stuff and and uh he was right. They probably did put 10,000 houses in there, I think. Well,
4: and I think that, you know, for Harlan and, and Tom and I growing up here, we really saw the last remnants of the old town in a sense.
1: That really messed with me because I grew up. I remember one day, I think John might have been there that day. We were walking downtown. Uh, we were walking by Mate's, and Bob Mate comes out. And he goes, oh, my God, get in here. <laughs> and he grabbed me, and he brought me into the floor of Mate's, a clothing store, and he announced to everybody, look at this. He held up the sleeve of my shirt and he said, Threadbare, I do not ever want to see this young man looking like this because the Matei family dressed me all my life. Yeah. And when we finally lost that store, I didn't know how to buy clothes. Oh. My father worked there when he was a teenager. you're sure father, he did. Yeah, with my brother, I think, was working
4: there at the and, time. And the other uh, clothing store was Lombardi's. Lombardi's. Which is where World of you Stereo buy, is now. Yes,
1: yeah, yep. You buy Levi's. They had a wooden floor in those days, as yes. I recall. When Mateys went out of business, that was a big oh, moment Oh, that for was you. a loss. It was a huge loss for me. It oh. was an anchor <laughs> store in, in town, <laughs> it really. It was yeah. an anchor it's, store in town, and they were a wonderful family, and yes. are a wonderful family, as a matter of fact. It was the type of town where I could walk into any store and get what I needed as a kid, and it was put on account, and they knew who I was. Uh, everybody knew who I was. I felt welcome to walk the streets of downtown Petaluma. I felt honored to be a, a kid in downtown Petaluma. And you could walk into almost any shop and get what you need, and walk out as a kid. You didn't even know what money was for a while because yeah. it was You're all on, on account. Yep, You're all on account.
4: You yeah. know, we had uh, Polly Ann Bakery, which was on Kentucky oh, yes. Street. And, you know, every Thursday I'd go down there and get two loaves of bread. Fresh baked, sliced, wrapped up in paper with a little string. And that was our bread for the week. And it was always on an account. Yeah. I mean, I never, they sent me down. That was my one of my errands. and
1: They had these blueberry donuts that were
4: just oh, incredible. Kill Killer.
3: <laughs> my first job, besides being a paper boy and a gas station attendant, I got a job in San Francisco at a stock brokerage. I was only a male boy at the time, but I went to Matey's to buy some clothes. And Fred Matey was the mayor at the time. And He didn't know my name, but he knew I was a Petaluma boy. He had seen me. I bought a couple of shirts a couple times. And so one day I was in there, and he came up to me and asked me if I wanted to open an account and be able to charge clothes. And I said, sure. The only thing I had to fill out was my name and address, so a place to send the bill. No limitations, no requirements. I felt like a king. I felt really respected. Absolutely. And, and yep. this was the mayor of Petaluma.
4: Well, he <laughs> knew where to find you if he came for your money. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. couldn't. Yeah. just, was, uh, just uh, was
3: a real warm, yeah. small
4: town feeling. Small town feeling. The Bacala family had a grocery oh, yes. store, yes. Yes. which was on Howard and Western. Yeah. Uh, it's now Pass um, Perfect. perfect. Oh, yeah, right, that's right. Uh-huh. But, you know, you would call in your grocery order, and then they would deliver your groceries. Yes. And you never paid cash. I don't remember that. They'd send you a bill and whatnot, and things were done like All that. All the small done-
3: grocers in town had tabs. I've talked oh. with uh, Mario Fagoni and Carl Islin, who took over A&B Market and made it Carl's. Oh, None yes. of them ever got stiffed on an account, on a grocery I believe account. that. Never. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, well, Jim, your grandparents, Topsy and Jim, and Jim's brother, Frank... And his ages wife, Chickie, yeah. who ran Aegis <laughs> Grocery out on Bodega and Eucalyptus. Yes. And my grandparents lived 100 Last feet away. before the there. beach. They ran everything on credit. And that oh, was wow. the same kind of store there. I mean, it was a great—that was a community hangout for everybody. And I know because my grandfather, who lived
0: a hundred feet away, was one of the regulars at the bar there every day. <laughs> so yeah. So let's paint this picture for people, okay? So the front room was a or area was a grocery store, and then in the back was a bar. Yep. And I th- I don't think separate they had em- entrance. Yeah, a busy separate bar. entrance. I don't think they had employees. It was just the, no, the no, two the four of them. It, it was, them. was my grandmother, my grandfather, and Frank and Chick. Chickie. And that was it. It was four partners, husband wife, husband yep. wife, and they had the bar in the back, and they had the grocery store in the front, and there was no door for the customer to enter from the grocery no, store to the back, not. but the employees could enter, yes, I believe, right? Yes, They'd work the right. counter in the grocery area, and then they would walk through the door into the back and, you know, serve the booze. Your grandparents oh. yeah. really and
3: uncle, actually, they rotated shifts. Uh, one couple would do one shift. Yep. The man would be in the store, the woman in the bar...
4: I bought my candy there. We lived up on Eucalyptus for about three years, and that's where I went to buy the candy and stuff like the that. All customers
3: the time. all had nicknames. Yep, they named
4: everybody. Wow, <laughs> yeah. and they had three kinds of beer. Period. You had Mario and John's down on the east side. You had all these little gathering places, yes. and they just weren't drinking bars. They were places where the community came together all the time, you know, and people identified with, and yes. that was really important in
1: this town.
2: Is Petaluma the only home of the grocery bar? Because you know, at one time we. We had four or
1: five of them. Well, we still have Fair West, I think, is operating we have Fair like that. Oh, yeah. Uh,
2: Volpe's did. Volpe's, for a right? While. Volpe's,
1: absolutely. Volpe's is so
4: great because now it's a restaurant, but when it was an Italian grocery, mm-hmm. yeah. and my uncle George, who lived over in Sonoma, was a ranch hand all his life, my dad would pick him up on Saturdays. And this was the classic story at Volpe's. Saturdays, you'd come in from the farm, you'd walk into Volpe's, you'd have a grocery list, you'd lay it down on the front counter. And then you'd head right to the bar. And so we'd take George over there. He'd lay down his grocery list. He'd go to the bar. And four hours later, we'd pick him up and carry him out. And somebody and would get the groceries. there would be two bags of groceries waiting at the end of the counter for us to carry. We'd put him in the car, drive him in the snow, and put him in bed, and put his groceries away. And then come home. Hopefully Every there was Saturday no ice cream. I did that as a kid, okay?
3: Oh. <laughs> Other families who didn't go grocery shopping, the man would go uptown for a haircut. He would go... With- s: Oh uh, yeah,
0: oh, yes. yeah
3: Walk in the front of the bar- barbershop, but keep on walking, and it was an entrance to. The bar. Gelardi's
1: yeah. Hopefully you remembered <laughs> to get so your hair cut right. before you went home. Yeah. So,
2: yeah.
3: That's right. That prompted Mario to build a, a barbershop next Mario to his Mario and
2: John's, right. Yes. Yeah. And, uh-huh. the, and the
0: barbershop remains to this day, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it does. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, so something people talk, and now we're jumping a little around an narrow, so Petaluma, hard-drinking town, um, and we mentioned Volpe's. And so people talk a lot about Volpe's and their speakeasy and all that through the Depression. Does anybody have anything about that? Is anything that jumps to mind about Petaluma and how we reacted to uh, (laughs) prohibition? Yeah. I, I assume we weren't yeah. thrilled. <laughs> Clearly you jest.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, we had a boom, it was a boom town. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> drinking went through the roof. I yeah. mean, it was amazing. It was the best it thing that one helped of the, the best, alcohol yeah. production. And, you know. And, and <laughs> one of the best countries.
1: things that happened for the bars in pebble Yes, definitely.
4: <laughs> a lot of the ranches out in Tamales and whatnot had still set up. As I said, with my great uncle, he brought boats to Tiburon and then brought the sea scouts down and brought the booze up that way. So we had
0: booze coming and going. Lots of booze. Lots of booze
3: came in through the ranches. A man I wrote about, he passed away at 100 years old. He got to drive the car from the edge of the water out to the road because the bootleggers didn't want to drive on the on the road on the ranch. So he was 12 and 13 years old, and he got to drive. Which was a big deal to drive a car. Uh, Vivian Keel, a lady, she's 100 years old now, worked at the Twin Oaks. She was 14 at the time, and people would drive up, and she would go out to the car, and they would order uh, whiskey or whatever it was called. And I, I asked her, how did you know to trust them? And she says, well, if they asked for it, and we knew... They would, otherwise, they would go one mile down the road and buy it. So yeah, it was a wild town. It was available as easy as anything. Yep. There was no rules.
2: There are stories about underground tunnels.
1: There is. And, and you know, there was always a story growing up. I would heard about the tunnel from uh, Volpe's, the speakeasy at the back of Volpe's, to come up under the California Theater uh, so that if, if Volpe's was ever raided, you'd go into the tunnel and you'd come up into the theater and you'd be watching the movies. <laughs> which is which is the theater that we're in right now <laughs> which is in the theater we're in right yeah. now danny takini and i had heard about that when we were kids and, and uh, we spent an amount of time under the floor of this building looking for that tunnel and quite frankly uh since i got back in 83 many generations of phoenix kids have been under this floor looking for that tunnel <laughs> uh, uh, dominic dobby's younger brother johnny came up one day he was down there and he goes and he comes up to me and says tom we need uh, we need to have some picks." And some sledgehammers. What are you talking about? We found some concrete down there. It's got to be the tunnel. No, no, no. That's the foundation. So you could ask John Volpe about this. He's over at Volpe's, and every Friday and Saturday night, you can go in and listen to him play the most incredible accordion music. Oh, yes. yes. Correct. You can ask John Volpe about that tunnel, and it's been the same answer since I was a kid. I'm not going to say it was there, and I'm not going to say it wasn't. And uh, to this day, he will not give us a straight story, was there ever a tunnel? Certainly if there was, uh, Washington Street has been torn up and rebuilt so many times, just since when John and I were kids, and and you guys were kids here. And and so if there was ever a tunnel, it certainly wouldn't show up now. There'd be nothing left of it. And I've never, uh, boy, when I was a kid, I never found it. And none of our generations of Phoenix kids have found it. So I don't know what to say about it. And John Volpe is not talking.
3: I've heard stories of the ranchers who came in from Talena Valley, there wasn't milk in those milk cans.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) And they
3: were just... Free, free ride. Nobody ever stopped a, a wagon of no. milk cans.
1: In the histories of Petaluma that you guys have studied, did anybody ever get arrested for bootlegging in this town? Quite a bit of people that were yep. passing through. through. constable.
3: Right. Not, right.
4: Locals. But, uh, no. <laughs> not locals. No.
1: Not
0: locals. <laughs> the paper
3: had a lot of stories of people passing, yep. passing yes. through. So, so the passing
0: yes. through people, but now the locals didn't get why? Because everybody was kind of getting <laughs> taken care yeah, of? It, yeah. You know who you know, you know? You know it's, you're going to arrest you your take cousin. Take care of your own. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <go.
0: laughs> so we made an example of the <laughs> now, Outsiders. Right. Hit our quotas yeah. with the outsiders. Yeah. Yeah.
1: As a youngster though, I don't think any of us realized that most of the adults around us past noon were drunk anyway.
0: Yes, that's exactly <laughs> right.
1: And then they got recharged at you know cocktail hour at five. Cocktail you know, hour at five, you
4: bet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, you know, there is such a history, there's such a spectrum, uh, we could never, in 30 of these episodes, capture it all. First of all, is there anything that is just really looming large in someone's mind, any topic, any name, that uh, you guys think, oh, we need to give them a little attention?
4: Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, and this is going to make somebody very uncomfortable, but I I think the third person behind Kerrigan and Sabranis is Tom Gaffey. What? And I think because carrying the spirit of Petaluma and what Petaluma offers in the sense of community these guys all formed, Tom has carried that on in many ways, and he's done it here at the Phoenix. This has been his home since high school. Since high school. Since That's high true. school, and many generations have passed through here, and he's passed that history on to those generations. So we don't have that kind of continuity around town. We have a few places left. Volpe's is across the street here. Absolutely.
1: We've got but John Volpe.
4: I just want to say, Tom, you've done a great job of carrying the
1: legacy of Petaluma forward. Uh, and, uh, but not and just honoring me. It. I mean, with Harlan and Katie and even you, I mean, there are still so many people in this town that remember Petaluma the way it was, and maybe still would like to have a spark of that alive in the kids that, that, that grow up in this town. Well, I to think me, that's it's really true, important.
4: but historians do one thing, but there are people who embody it and carry it. That's what people look for in the community, and I think you've done a great job of that. I just want
1: to put that Well, down. Well, thanks. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I do want—I uh, I would like every kid that comes through here to know what Petaluma was, and I'm hoping that Petaluma gets to be that way for another hundred years. I really do. It's, uh, I, I don't know if there are many places like this town.
4: No, and, you know, we've talked about all night, I think, from the very beginning. This has been a town that's been very unique. It's had a really strong sense of its identity. And, it, you know, there might be a little self-importance to that, but it's clear on who it is and always has been. And if it yeah. becomes just another bedroom community among bedroom communities like, let's say, Rohnert Park, it's lost. Yeah. You know. And we've I, got to protect the heritage here. And we've we got do. To,
1: and the com, sense
4: of community which is so valuable and important.
1: Yeah, because I still see kids uh, that are born and growing up in this town that still feel like Petaluma kids to me. And and yeah, and I and what does that feel like? I mean, what do you... Oh, like? man, to be a pedal that's that's an awful lot of character. That's a kid with a lot of character. That's a kid that is actually quite comfortable with their uh, foibles, <laughs> <Yes>.
2: <laughs> quite frankly. Yes, definitely, you know, definitely. It's,
1: it's a kid that is not necessarily, that is, that is willing to walk into a situation and, and survey it and not shy away from it. And also, it's a kid that feels comfortable in a crowded room. Yep. You know, and, and uh, can can move about this world comfortably. And it's it's a special breed. Uh, you know, I would like to hope that every town is like that in this country. People will come in and look at the Phoenix and they go, my God, look at this place. I've never seen anything like this. But every town should have a place like the Phoenix. That's uh, what Bill Sobranis taught me about. Yep. And what I thought I'd heard about, Doc Nafe, a door, the door is always open. And if you need to be in here, this is the building that you can be in. But that's the same way with this town. If you need to be in this town, this is the town you can be in. Yep. And every yep. town should be like that. Every small town, the United States should be like that.
4: One of the downsides of a small town is the conformity that it places on people. But I think we've been talking about Bill Sobranis a lot tonight. And Bill celebrated people who are bigger than life yep. and who were authentic. You know, and could, as Tom says, could be themselves. Could be themselves. Could be the true full character of who they were and not try to conform to something else. And if we lose that in Petaluma, we lose the town.
1: Well, I think this world loses a beautiful nugget.
2: The thing that I have asked every person I have ever interviewed is, why did you come to Petaluma? And I get the same answer. It's always a different answer, but it is always the same answer. And the answer is the sense of community that I get here. Petaluma has a sense of community that I have not found any place else.
1: And we are fierce
2: about that. And we are fierce about it. And yes, it's changed. But that sense of community, of belonging, all you need to do in Petaluma is reach out and say, here I am, what can I do? And this town will embrace you forever. Yes. I yeah. think a good example of that is at the
3: Petaluma Museum, to where most of the volunteers are not native Petalumans. they are people that have been here seven years, eight, ten years. They love to attach themselves to the history. It has a foundation that wherever they came from apparently doesn't have that that magnetism. The people I interview, I do the same. We know, of course, what brought your families. I've never talked to anybody that wished they would have moved away. And I've talked to some kids for like, for, that I went to school with that wish they wouldn't have moved.
1: Absolutely. It's basically the, the town that Garrett Keller stole, if you are a person of goodwill. Yeah, we'd love to have you here. <laughs> you know, you're, you're more than welcome. <laughs> Just, and
0: even if you're not a person of goodwill, you'll find you know? some people to hang out with.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. you watch like, your uh-huh. wallet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I truly appreciate you guys coming. Oh,
1: I can't tell you what an honor this was tonight. Oh, Good heavens. We so
0: truly much. appreciate it. And, you know, we could do this 20 more times. And I yeah. hope that we can do something like this yeah. again because there's oh, yeah, so much history do. in this town.
4: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Definitely. Yes.
1: So thank you, guys. Thank you, Jim. Great job. Thank you so much. Right. One, one more question. Is Margaret Sobranis still alive? No. No. When did she pass? Oh, not I wrote
3: about ago. her so about five years ago. Yeah, not long no, ago. Maybe not even five. Yeah. How mm-hmm. old do
2: we think she was when she passed?
3: Uh, 96. What a glorious and woman she was. we was
2: still walking to church every
3: oh, day. Is that oh, right? Big God. strides. Yeah. She, would, yeah. she wouldn't let me write about her. With she her was my wife, second grade teacher. Would,
1: with, with her white tennis shoes. With her,
3: yes. I tried to help her mow her lawn once when she was about 85, and she almost slugged me. She to wouldn't get have up. it. I, you know. And well, she knew me from school, of course.
4: Yes, of course. Yes, when so I, I asked that.
3: if I could write about her, she said, you know, Harlan, I would never let Billy write about me either. So oh, it's m- true. don't feel, uh, you know... Uh, That I'm shunning you. Um, So I did write about her anyway. I wrote a valentine to her one day. Yes. And I got a picture from Bocleone next door of a picture of Margaret when she was in the yard. Nice. And it was really, I felt so good, you know, to be able to express. I didn't get any quotes from her because I knew she wouldn't have opened up. But she was one of the most beautiful women she really I was ever.
1: Is so genuine. She My she heavens.
3: supported us kids in school. Yep. She yep. she she brought out whatever I always told her I never would have liked writing. I never would have gotten into it if it wouldn't have been for her. She told me, Oh, you, you of course you would have you would have you know, you were a natural baloney. She made reading and writing and the alphabet just beautiful. Uh, I don't know. So she was my favorite lady.
0: Um, here, here. Yeah. We appreciate you guys coming we on. We absolutely okay, do. Thank you. Yeah. Let's okay. keep making go. history and pedal Yeah. Another, yeah. Another oh, yeah. Years.
1: <laughs> another hundred years. Yep. Absolutely. I brought cheater notes the first couple shows and never found myself getting
0: to them. Yeah. You can't get to them. going